next week because it's Sasha's break and we're going to Copenhagen, Denmark. Never been there. And the reason we're going, well, it's twofold. One was because Sasha's cousin and her mom, my sister-in-law, was supposed to meet us in Denmark. I don't, I don't remember exactly the reason why they were going, but they had some reason to go. And it was like, all right, let's, that's cool. You guys are coming to Europe. We'll meet you there. It's Sasha's break. It'll be fun. And it turns out they're not coming after all because some passport issue. Who knows? There's something going on. And so we're just going. So we, we, it's too late to cancel the hotel or the tickets. So we're going to Denmark for no reason. But there is, there is a reason. And it's that during COVID, we had summer plans for 2020. You got to book them way in advance usually. And on the way back from LA, we're going to fly through Oslo, Norway, just because we figured out that whenever we're coming back from the States, you may as well tack on a trip to Europe. And then go back to Lisbon because you basically save a leg of the flight, right? You're going states to destination to Lisbon rather than states to Lisbon. And then if you wanted to go somewhere, you'd have to go there and back. So it saves you a leg of the flight. And because of the curvature of the earth, somewhere like Oslo, which is you know near the North Pole, it's not near the North Pole, but it's way, way north, is actually not any further from LA than Lisbon is. You might not realize that, but because the globe is fatter in the middle, it's, you know, Lisbon is further south. You can fly to Oslo, like over Greenland and Canada, and the globe is a lot narrower. So it's a lot shorter to get from west to east up north than it is closer to the equator. So we figured this out and we bought a ticket to Oslo in 2020. But of course, the uh, COVID everything canceled that. And so we had this credit on Norwegian Air that we were just never going to be able to use. And then they said you couldn't use it international, the credit. They're only flying domestic now in Europe. Not domestic, but in Europe. And so finally, we had an excuse to use this credit we had for a couple of years. So we booked it. We're going to see Sasha's cousin, Denmark. They cancel. Now we're just going there for no reason, except we did get to use up our airline miles. So we got a free flight. Hotel's kind of expensive. Everything's expensive apparently in Denmark. But you know, I'm... Curious to see. It's not one of the places in the world that I'd be dying to see. It's not like a, it's not that historic or anything, you know. I'd rather go to like Tokyo or something, but obviously that's a way, way bigger trip. It is what it is. So we're going to Denmark for like four days or something on Sunday. So I'm not going to be doing the podcast next week. And then the following week, we're, we're coming back to Lisbon for a day. We couldn't get a good flight direct from Copenhagen to New York. So we're going to Lisbon for a day and then we're going to New York visit family. So that's the second half of the break. So we're doing some traveling. I may not be doing podcasting, so I'm going to do one now. And there's a lot actually to talk about anyway. So it's good timing. feels good to get some work done, some posts, some podcasts in, and then I may, I maybe do some writing, you know, I'll bring my laptop, but I don't know what the hell I'll be doing. Bunch of things. I was working on some, some columns one of which was how much I abhor fantasy baseball. This is on my real man sports. And every year this happens to me. It's the same every year. So I really can't stand baseball by the end of the season. I've got injuries. I'm just, I dread doing the lineups every Sunday in the NFBC. It's like I'm in a barbecue in LA in the summer and, oh wait, I got to go get on my computer for two hours uh, indoors and it's a beautiful day. I'm like sitting there on the computer for two hours doing lineup moves. And then when I'm back in Portugal, even 
it's like it's midnight and the games are starting, but the late games, the West Coast games haven't put out their lineup. So I don't know what to do with these injured guys in the late games. I got to stay up. It's just, it's not worth it. Like I just can't do anymore. So I wasn't going to do baseball this year, but I had the idea that, you know what I can do is draft the teams, which I like, and then outsource all the moves to people who can split the winnings with me. And I got four good candidates and they're all doing their teams drafted the teams, enjoyed it, did the research, got ready for the year. Maybe not as ready as some of these guys who take this more seriously than me, but I'm taking it seriously. I'm competitive. I'm not, it's not like I am okay with not cashing. I'm taking it seriously. They just know the player pool much more deeply than me, but that's all right. I'm sort of pride myself on efficiency. Like I try to cut to the chase of like what's important and focus on that. So you may know things about the farm system of certain teams that guys I've never heard of, but I'm not sure how relevant that's going to be for this year's fantasy baseball. Maybe it helps you in future years because you have a, a better history of the players. I know it's helped me just having done this for so long to just know players historically and how things work. So maybe it's a slight advantage, but I'm trying to be efficient, study the things that are most relevant, best bang for my buck, my attention. Anyway, I did my share of studying. I did my drafts. I was reasonably happy with them offloaded them to people who are interested. Everything's going well. And then on Friday night, I probably shouldn't have even looked at my phone, but I even have these glasses that block the blue light, you know, after a certain hour, shouldn't be looking at the phone before sleep, but I was, and I saw Kenley Jansen leaves the mound with a trainer. Kenley Jansen, I have in three of my four leagues, important guy, closer, hard to replace. And I'm just beside myself. Like I'm sure he's out for the year. It's going to be a disaster. So annoying. Anyway, it turns out he was fine. He just was lightheaded and that's best case scenario. But then it just made me realize like worrying over all this kind of bullshit that happens and it happens all the time. Someone leaves the mound, someone gets hit by a pitch. You know, you don't sleep that night. You're like, oh man, he got hit by a pitch. What's going to happen? It's a key guy. I'm back. I'm back in this shit. And I forgot like, you know, all off season, I remembered, I don't like baseball. It's just such tedious hell. It's stressful. All these guys get hurt for no reason. It's not like football where, you know, your guy gets crashed, his leg bone goes through his leg or 300-pound guy smashes him on his skull. You know, you, you respect football injuries, but baseball injuries are bullshit. It's like, oh, he strained an oblique. He tweaked his hamstring running the bases. I mean, these – it's just very – baseball injuries just seem completely arbitrary and annoying. I mean, a hit by a pitch, I get it. If you hit in the face by a pitch, I have respect for that. But a lot of these injuries, it's just like you're 22 years old. Like Wander Franco had to have an MRI in his quad, and I have Wander Franco in three out of four leagues. And what's the problem, man? You're 22 years old. Like, why are you having quad injuries in spring training? Like, I, I played basketball in college, not real college basketball, intramural and pickup all the time. And yeah, I sprained an ankle here and there, but like, I played through it. I never got hurt. I played basketball four times a week in LA when I got there when I was 26 to 30. And I eventually destroyed my ankle and had surgery when I was like 38. But before then, I never missed any games. I wasn't even, I was too cheap in my early 20s to buy high tops. So I was wearing running shoes. And that's probably why I did so much damage to my ankle. Uh, that was a bad investment, money and injury wise, health wise. But point is, like, you're not supposed to be getting hurt at age 22. You know, you're supposed to just be, especially bullshit. Yeah. If you get hit in the face with a pitch when you're 22, you're going to get hurt. But you shouldn't be having quad strains in spring training at age 22. And yet, here we are. Wander Franco's going in for the MRI. Now, again, this was positive. So I was lucky actually with Jansen and Franco, but just worrying about this shit. Like, and I'm not even running the teams now. And so I, I forgot, you know, in March, it was like 
back in 1999, people played 155, 160 games and there were injuries. You know, J.D. Drew was in the league then. I had him and that guy was always hurt. But it just made me think of, you know, Cal Ripken and Lou Gehrig. They didn't miss a game for more than a decade. It's two decades in Ripken's case. And Nolan Ryan threw, what did he have? He had 52 complete games between 1973 and 1974. And he walked 356 guys. So do you know his pitch counts were? He probably was in the 150s routinely. And he had 52 complete games and, you know, didn't miss starts. 41 starts one of those years too. You know, and obviously Nolan Ryan's the most durable player of all time. And Ripken and Garrick, same thing. But it was just more common that people could just hold up. And you have this modern technology and modern training methods. And these guys are a bunch of fucking Ferraris. And we're in this like off-road free-for-all. And you know they're going to break down. You know, I always draft these old closers, old starters, because I feel like they got thicker skin. You know, I, I try to avoid typically. I mean, I love Spencer Strider. I love some of these young pitchers who throw hard. But. I try to avoid those guys because the guys, the young pitchers who rely on athleticism, they almost always get hurt, whether it's this year or next. They're going to get that Tommy John surgery. The old guys get hurt occasionally too, but you just I think they know how to prepare better. And pitching to me is just a cerebral thing. It's more mental. You have to have like a baseline minimum of stuff. But after that, it's experience matters with pitching. And I think hitting is more athletic. So I try to draft young hitters. But point is, it's just like these guys are more fragile than ever. And... It's already stressing me out. And then, you know, so the other thing is I did my main event, 1700 bucks, and then the pitching went crazy, went flying off the board as they do in a lot of main events. Some guy was like, oh, why are you surprised? That's, that's the way the main event goes. And it is the way the main event goes. But literally the two guys I had as my backup plans in rounds three and four, those guys in every league, one of the two was there, in, except my league, <laughs> in every other league. So these guys went to their absolute mass, max pick, Wheeler and Julio Urias. And they were gone, and so I ended up chasing pitching. It's okay. It's fine. I have a, a roster that's going to need to make moves. I got a lot of volume of pitching, but it's not a problem. Except that my number two starter, Luis Severino, who is super injury-prone, one of the most injury-prone, was healthy the day I drafted him, and now he's got a lat strain. And of course he has a lat strain. The guy is hurt every second. I would never have drafted that guy, except that pitching was flying off the board. I needed to kind of catch up, and he has a ceiling. So... You know, I'm just, it's like player after player. You're always worried about these guys. Every pitcher, if he gets blown up for an, an outing, you're like, oh, is something wrong with him? Is he hurt? It's just uh, fantasy baseball is the worst. And I, I find that out every March and April. And I hate it by midsummer. And then I'm just so relieved to be doing football where, you know, your guy breaks his leg, but it's, you know, it's on, it comes about it honestly. And then, Somehow after the Super Bowl, sometime in February, March, I'm like, ah, oh, baseball's kind of fun. It's the best fantasy sport. So much strategy involved. And I get sort of psyched up. And then I finally do it. And then I start contemplating all the draft slots and who I should pick and my strategy. And then I'm super into it, you know. But I forget this is 2023 where everything's more fragile. They use the players in weird ways. The game doesn't fit with saves the way it used to and rule changes and and wins or, you know, pitchers are going shorter and shorter. And it's just the most frustrating game. But now that I'm outsourcing it, I'm hoping that, that I can let go a little bit. I can be annoyed, but I don't have to clean up the mess, right? So if I lose a closer, one of the guys running my teams is going to have to go find a new closer. It's not me dealing with this. And I don't have to be interrupted from something I'm doing uh, to go or stay up late later than I want. So we'll see. It's an experiment. 
fantasy baseball is the worst and it's the best, but it's the worst. It's become the worst. And uh, we'll see though. I'm glad I did it. Just, just some money. I can always let go. We'll see if I can let go. Other things going on. I wrote another piece about AI. AI is the big thing now. Everyone's worried about AI. It's going to go full Terminator and it might. I don't, not really worried about it. My first column, I've got actually got a second one in the works on AI, uh, but the first one is don't fear AI. The subtitles artificial intelligence is no match for the human mind. I start out with a Terrence McKenna quote. I've written about this before, but it just seemed to make more sense in the context of AI. There is, so far as we know, nothing more advanced than what is sitting behind your eyes. The human neocortex is the most densely ramified, complexified structure in the known universe. It's Terrence McKenna talking about the human mind. Think about AI and AI is going to think for you. There's uh, Elon Musk responded to some guy who said that, what are we going to do? We're going to start questioning our purpose when AI becomes better than us at every mental task. And I'll just combine these two columns because one of them, I already wrote one of them I'm writing, but it's the same kind of idea. When we domesticated the horse, we outsourced some physical labor, right? The horse could pull things, carry things across distances, carry people across distances. It made human labor. Humans are just not as strong as horses for a lot of tasks. It, okay, we don't need you for that anymore. And then we got the steam engine or various other inventions, sailing ships, you don't have to row anymore. We have sails. All of these things saved human labor. And of course, if you were the best rower in the world, maybe you still had a job where it wasn't windy or on ships where there were no sails, but um, it displaced people who were accustomed to certain kinds of tasks. And the other interesting thing is just because horses or now cars and airplanes are better forms of transport than foot for long distances, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't run or walk or keep yourself in shape. Of course you should. Um, it's still good to do that. It's just that if you're going to go 3,000 miles, maybe get on the airplane rather than walk it. It's going to be a lot easier and uh, a lot quicker. And I kind of just see AI the same way. I think it's going to start taking out, taking over a lot of mental tasks that we used to do. I mean, we've already got this, right? The internet, sort of like if you needed to research I don't know, something about constitutional law. You used to have to go to a law library and pull out the books. And then there was like the LexisNexis search, which sped up things a lot. But now, I mean, you know, you can Google things and maybe you still need LexisNexis. I don't know. I've been so far out of that world for so long, but, you know, but whatever. It doesn't have to be law, but you can now just search for things, duck, duck, go things. And, you know, you might've had to go and, you know, old newspaper articles, you can just pull up. Might have had to go to some library and look through the microfiche to get, you know, what they were saying in 1965. Now it's just, boom, you can just get it. These things have already saved us a lot of labor where we can be a lot more efficient. We can spend time on social media, wasting our whole day of work rather than traveling to some archive and digging things up. But the internet's just the, the start of it. And obviously with AI, we're going to get a lot more efficient things like programming, right? I mean, you, you have to program stuff. I mean, there, there's libraries now where you can just pull in like pre-made programs to help. So you don't have to do everything from scratch, but now it's going to be like, just do this for me. You know, eventually you'll just say, Hey, create a video game that has this going on. Book me an itinerary to Europe for three weeks for this price in these cities. And it'll just be like, okay, that looks good. Submit. 
pay it, get my credit card and pay. I mean, things like that. And that seems like a good thing to me because a lot of the stuff that we do is, is just tedious and it's kind of a waste of time. But these guys are worried about more than that. They're like every mental task. They're saying like literally, why do a podcast? I'm like, do a podcast, make it sound like me. Bring up some shit that I would think is interesting. Post it. And that's where I think uh, we're not really going to get there. I don't think we're going to get there. Maybe we will, but I, I don't see it. I have a basis for saying that, and I'll get into that in a second. But I, I do feel like it's, you know, the, the menial, it's an oxymoron, but these menial mental tasks are going to be taken over by AI. And I, I think it, it's kind of like calculators. You know, you can multiply numbers on paper or you can put it in a calculator. It's going to be like that, but for like a lot of stuff. And it's going to be better than you at those kind of things. You know, you're not going to beat the AI at chess, but that's okay, right? It's still worth playing chess against your friends, just like it's still worth jogging, even though a horse can beat you in a race. It's still worth sprinting, even though a horse can beat you in a race. These things are still good for humans to do, but we know that if we need something done that's sort of a mechanical, mental operation, just put the AI on it. That's, that's great. Let it, let it do the work for us. And people are worried, well, it's going to displace jobs. Well, we used to be worried that robots were going to displace people's jobs. You know, the robot trucks are going to be place the truck drivers, and maybe they will eventually. Robot grocery store shelf stockers are going to do that. But it's funny, like the grocery store, the only robots that they have now are those auto checkout things. And that's not really a robot. That's just you doing the work of the clerk. It's like such a pain in the ass. I got to scan each item one by one. I'm just doing the clerk's job and bag my own. You know, that's not really robot. That's, that's just transferring the labor to the customer. That's like some Ikea shit where it's like, Ikea is like, oh, what an innovation. You got this furniture just comes and you assemble it. It's like, yeah, I'm just doing the job of assembly now. I don't, I actually like Ikea and I like assembling that stuff. And I get the storage savings, the innovation and the cost savings, but you know, it's, there's still labor being done. It's just being done by you. That's how the grocery store, those auto checkout things are. They're not really an innovation, but we thought that maybe we're going to have fleets of driverless trucks and we may eventually, but it's not there now. And it looks like it's the mental workers, the menial mental workers, the paper pushers, they're going to get replaced first. And you can see what all this panic about AI is because the, the people that are online the most are the paper pushers, the laptop class. And now it's, it's they who seem like they're going to get displaced first by this AI. It's going to cost a lot of jobs. You know, you're, you're going to need a lot fewer compliance people and, and people who do bureaucratic administrative stuff. You're going to need a lot fewer administrators when you have an AI. And that is, is going to have seismic effects on like, the job markets. I think it's going to, I do think there will be uh, a big fallout from that. And you see people like, uh-oh, we, we're not even going to be able to think for ourselves. And I actually think that that's not true. I think that it's going to get rid of the menial mental tasks. And historically, it's, it's like if you could do a mental job rather than a physical job, you had a higher status, like the physical laborer, that guy could be replaced by another physical laborer, low skilled and the mental workers, the PhDs, these people are, you know, important in society. And we've had sort of a thing. And I've talked about this before, this sort of surplus of elites. I forget the guy who came up with that phrase, but the idea that everybody wanted to go to college, everyone went to college, borrowed way too much money to go to college. And there's just not enough high paying, high quality jobs for those people that spent all this money and all this time getting these educations. And, and that explains, at least in his view, and I wish I remember the guy, it's all this woke stuff because 
if you can't make more money than an electrician, which you surely cannot just from getting a college degree or a plumber, those guys often do very well. Um, you need to distinguish yourself somehow. You need to get something for all your studies and expense. And that would be status. And how do you signal status? Well, I know all the right pronouns and protocols and what to say. And he's, you know, he's ignorant. He says all this stuff that's so bigoted and he says all the wrong stuff. And so you have all these complex codes and signaling in society for the laptop class. And that, I think, explains a lot of the appeal of a lot of these insane policies where you know everybody's bending over backwards to signal how woke they are, how, how with it they are with the new hypersensitive pronouns and different knowledge that actually, personally, I don't know. I don't know enough of it. I, I must be in the, in the wrong class, but obviously I graduated, got educated and work on a laptop. So I'm sort of of the laptop class, but I don't really want phony status. I like to make money, create something that people value, but I don't really care about the bullshit status. A lot of these people, they weren't offered a good job. They didn't get lucky and find Rotowire right as they were coming of age, right as fantasy sports was becoming a thing. I mean, you know, I got lucky. I mean, you know, I worked hard and I was smart about it, but I also got lucky. I mean, this, it's not like that was, you make your luck, but you also run into some luck. And so, you know, I am sympathetic. You know, if you went to college and you thought you were doing the right thing and there's just not great opportunities for you with the skill set you acquired, I don't think it, that excuses becoming a woke douchebag and judging other people based on these empty protocols and rituals that you've, you've created. I think you need to kind of get beyond that and see the, the emptiness of that. But, but I am sympathetic to the predicament they're in. But anyway, this is already a problem. And now, instead of the guys doing physical work getting replaced by the robots yet, it's looks like they may get replaced. And this is kind of all out panic. It's going to have seismic effects. And I, I would say like, yeah, I mean, it's going to be hard, but at the same time, you know, the internet displaced a lot of people and changed a lot of things. And, and we got through that. And, but also I think like the existential point about what are humans going to do? What's our purpose? Once AI can think better. I think if your purpose is tied to your job that much and tied to, you know, being able to push paper or do the menial mental task that you were trained to do. And then now suddenly the AI is better than you at that. I, I think that's a you problem. I don't think that's an AI problem. I don't think your purpose should have been tied up in menial mental tasks, the sort of probability one-on-one course, you know, that you see, I see a lot of this, you know, in, in the fantasy baseball industry, they're, they're always given the probability one-on-one course and they're so smug about it. Like, Oh, well the base rate is this. How could you do that? How could you take a running back in the first round? That, 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 it's like, it's like Captain Obvious Probability 101, and they just hammer that over and over again. It's like they learn one lesson, and they're just teaching that thing over and over again, and there's no interest in like, okay, well, in, in what cases does this not apply? How can we find the exceptions? Are there some sub-rules to the rule? I mean, it just seems very dull to me and also just not very insightful. So things like that, I, I feel like the AI is going to be way better than you at the Probability 101 but where humans excel is in thinking about things like second and third order effects, creating things, going from zero to one, which is an infinite leap, not one to many, which is a finite leap. The, once there's a method, once there's a protocol, the AI is going to be much better than you. But when there is no method, when the territory is uncharted, I think that's where the humans will always beat them. And I actually, a piece I posted, I compared 
AI and, and human minds to mathematical functions. So it's sort of like, you know, F, you have X, which is the inputs, right? And then you have F of X, the function, which is the function that when you put the input in, gives you an output. And you could have a really simple one like F of X equals 2X. If the input is 2, then the output is 4. F of X equals X cubed. If the input is 2, the output is 8. And the second one is a more powerful function. It grows faster. It has a bigger output given the same input. Although oddly, if X equals 1, 2X is bigger than X cubed. So in the beginning, it might not always seem that way. But the point is, I was trying to think of these AI as a, as a function, you know, takes in information, puts out an output. And the human mind as a function, you know, takes in information and puts out outputs. It's capable of putting out outputs. And so the question is, which is more powerful? AI of X, AI function, or mind of X, the mind function. And I started thinking about, well, how, how do these things work? Well, AI can take in like vast, vast amounts of information, right? It could scan the whole internet. And it can also learn as it goes. It can learn how to learn. It can increase its efficiency as it goes. So it's like machine learning. It's like, okay, this, you know, so I started thinking, okay, well, it's, it's kind of like these big numbers. Like if you're like, okay, AI, create the biggest number, finite number possible. Create, a, you know, the biggest one you can generate. And it might say, okay, it's going to start counting. Okay, how do I increase numbers? One, two, three, four, starts counting. But then it discovers, by scanning the web, it discovers addition. And it's like, wait a second, I don't need to count by ones. I can add three plus three plus three plus three. I don't have to count one, two, three each time. So now I can move faster and get in this big number. But then it's like, why am I doing three plus three plus three plus three? Why don't I just do four times three? I can just do multiplication. It's way faster than addition. So it figures out it's teaching itself, right? It's like, I can get faster than... than uh, in addition, let's do four times three. And then you're like, well, why am I doing that? I can do exponentiation. I can do, th you know, three to the third power. You know, that's 27. I don't, I can do three to the 10th power. I can go, you know, much faster than multiplication. But then it's like, well, I could do actually tetration, which is three to the three to the three. That's already 7.6 trillion. Now I'm, you know, now I'm cooking with gas here. And as you see, it can keep iterating faster and faster. I'm not going to do it on this podcast because I've tried to do it before and, you can check out the uh, Substack article, chrysalis.substack.com. Don't fear AI. Anyway, you can go beyond titration to hexation and pentation and so on and so on. And you can start even not only just increasing each step up the ladder, but you can increase the speed at which you go up the ladder. Instead of going from counting to addition to multiplication to exponentiation, you can go from counting to exponentiation in one step or counting to a thousand steps above that in one fell swoop or counting to trillions and trillions of steps. So each step obviously is much more powerful. You can go by the trillions of steps and then you can see how powerful and how huge these numbers are. There's a number of grams number that's generated exactly that way. So my thesis is that AI of X is kind of like grams number, G of X. It's this massive growing function that actually gets faster as you go. That learns how to grow the speed at which it grows. Okay. So that's that one. And that's a insanely large number. You can read the column. I, I can't describe how large it is here. You, your brain cannot process it. You can process the, the way in which it grows and get some idea of it, but you can't really process the number. It's not possible. So what's mind of X like? Well, there's a, there's a function called the tree function. And it's about these dots and lines and how many unique trees, which is combinations of dots and lines. Can you make, if you have say like a black dot and a black line, one color, 
And if you have, you have one color, you can only make one tree, which is a dot and a line. And so a tree of one is one. And then if you have two colors, say a black and a green, you can make three different trees before you start repeating them. So a tree of two is three. But tree of three, when you have three colors, uh, and I have videos attached to all this stuff, the number is so much bigger than anything you can possibly imagine. I mean, it's not even like, it's not describable how, you know, it's Googleplex to the Googleplex to the Googleplex power, a thousand times the Googleplex time. It doesn't matter. It's not even, these numbers don't even adequately weigh the number of permutations of how atoms can be arranged in the universe. Subatomic particles could be arranged in the universe to the power of how many ways you, in history chess games could have gone times how many ways in which decks have been shuffled or could possibly be shuffled. None of this is even close to tree three. It's not, this, it's not even these kind of, it's like saying two plus three versus tree three, these, these numbers. It's not even close to, to the number. But the interesting thing about tree three is that this insane number with only, you know, three is the input. There's only three colors. It's not X is the input is tiny. And the output is bigger than anything you could possibly imagine. It's basically just a simple game. It's a game of dots and lines and how, how, can, how many unique ones can you make before you have to repeat. And by the way, it's not infinite. They've proven it's not infinite. So it's just a little game with a few rules. And then taking those few rules, that game, you end up with a number that's so much bigger than the mechanically created one, than the one that uses sort of machine learning to get itself faster and faster, bigger and bigger. And to me, mind of X is tree of X. It looks smaller at first. Tree of one is one. Tree of two is three. But tree of three is bigger than anything that the mechanical one can come up with. And I kind of see it that way. I, I kind of feel like we've evolved from simple organisms, single-celled organisms, a couple of rules, reproduce, get nutrients, try to survive. These organisms evolve into reptiles and finally mammals and then finally us and then even us you know even we were primitive and we had a few rules to survive and reproduce get shelter food and then look at, look at what's happened in human society since the very beginning a couple of rules humans survive and hu the human mind works sort of by playing this game you know how do i survive how do i optimize this not, not even optimize because that's actually machine thinking but how do I figure this out? How do I figure out what I want? How do I create stuff that I, that I want? And it's just a much, much more powerful function than a narrow optimization. And optimize for this, optimize for that. That's why when people start saying, optimize for this, 12 steps, five steps to do this, 10 tips, three hacks, you're trying to think like a machine. And I know that this society wants you to think like a machine. There's a lot of tedious menial mental work that people do, but the human mind learns a lot differently. And I think it's a much, much more powerful function. And I don't really fear AI for that reason. Now, again, there's going to be some major disruptive effects, just like the internet and social media and the smartphone. Not all of them are going to be good, but I don't think, oh, what's my purpose? AI can think better than me. I don't think so. I think it can do you know, certain mechanical things better than me. I'm not I don't feel bad that a horse is more powerful than me or that a car can go faster than I can run or that a plane is better at carrying 300 people across. Those are all just tools that we use. So I'll end this little segment with the Naval Ravikant quote. He said, AI will replace the people who think it will. And I agree with that. And I think that if you're 
concerned about your purpose because the thing is mechanically better thinking than you, then uh, it's not an AI problem. It's a, it's more of a you problem. So that's that. I wrote that. Second one's going to come out soon. Couple other things I wanted to talk about. I won't tell my bad joke. Should I tell my bad? Yeah, I'll tell my bad joke. I, I like this joke, but Heather says it's stupid. Don't post it. So the joke is my husband was such a rock, but then he started using drugs and became an animal until the car crash. Now he's a vegetable. And the punchline is wow, he really covered all the kingdoms. <laughs> Nobody thought that was funny except me. You know, animal, vegetable, mineral. He was an animal. He was a rock. He was a mineral. And then he became an animal. And now he's a vegetable. Nobody really liked that joke. But and Heather told me, she says, it's a stupid joke. Don't post it. And everybody seemed to agree with Heather. But, you know, as soon as Heather said, don't post it, of course I was posting it. Maybe it's not one of my best, but I like, I like that kind of stuff. I like the kingdom. You know, people are like, don't misgender me. Don't misgender my, well, my, my mom misgenders my dog, which is horrible. And pissing me off. It's like, she, this, it's Oscar. We didn't even fix Oscar. You know, Oscar has testicles and he's, he, she's calling Oscar a, a she, which offends me. But, you know, people don't like being misgendered. I don't like when people misgender my dog. But like, if you're just like, oh, yeah, that person's a rock. You're, he's a rock. Or, you know, yeah, it's a, unfortunate, but now he's a vegetable. He's now a vegetable these days. You're miskingdoming somebody. You're not just misgendering them. Misspeciesing someone is also bad, right? You call a woman a dog. She's not going to like that. You're a dog. She's a dog. Nobody likes that. But sometimes you're like, dude is a horse running back. Give him the ball. He's a horse. Sometimes misspeciesing people is, uh, is a good thing. Or, you know, you're a rock. You're a rock. But you're miskingdoming me now. Kingdoming, that's the most fundamental. You're miskingdoming me. I mean, how could you miskingdom me? We're talking about a denial of my identity. It's not just a gender problem or a species problem. You know, you're... you. You miskingdomed me. You put me in another kingdom. So I like kingdom jokes, but fell a bit flat on Twitter. A lot of uh, eye-rolling type of responses. It's okay. It's all right. It's okay to fail. It's okay to fail at making a joke. I saw a tweet from DeMar Hamlin, you know, the guy who had a heart attack on the field. Obviously, you know who he is. This is fucking creepy to me, man. He, he's, he's like in D.C. with Charles Chuck Schumer. And he tweeted out in DC today, supporting the access to AEDs. Those are like defibrillators, I think. Act to help protect kids from sudden cardiac arrest. Huge step forward in ensuring every student has access to life-saving resources. This is just the beginning of using my story to create real change. We're just getting started. Feel good story. Hey, you know, you had something tragic happen to you on the field and now you're giving back. You're helping put defibrillators in schools. This is great. Everybody can have life-saving treatment. Oh, wait a second. What? What? This is not a feel-good story. Why the fuck do we need these things in schools? This is not a thing. This was not a thing before 2022. Kids needing uh, heart attack protection in schools. Like when I grew up, obviously that was not the case. And nobody even considered this. Why weren't we doing this before? Think about it. Why are, were there no defibrillators in schools before? There's first aid kits in schools. You know, I mean, there's the things that kids suffer they have in schools. They don't have defibrillators in schools, or they didn't. And why? Because fucking kids don't need them, or at least they didn't until a year ago. And so I feel like this Damar Hamlin thing, I mean, I'm happy he's, of course, I'm happy he's recovered and he's doing well and I hope he lives to 100 years old. And I don't even want to say 
it's 100% certain that the reason that happened was the vaccine. I think it's very likely since he was young, healthy, in great shape and suddenly had a heart attack, which just does not happen, or at least did not happen before a year ago. But, you know, in any one given case, it's impossible to say. Commotio cordis, I don't, see, I don't seem to be hearing that very often anymore, but hey, maybe it was. But I think there's something a little bit twisted about this, turning this into some kind of feel-good story and then lighting over the elephant in the room, which is like, why is this happening? Why do we suddenly need this? Sort of like passing by. And, and there's the gaslighting that it's like, oh, this is always the case. Of course we needed this. This is a positive development. Now they have the life-saving technology they always needed. Wait, what are you talking about? You're acting as though this was always the case. Like you're, you're totally alighting over the fact that this is a very recent development and everybody knows it. And it's very creepy to me that, A, he won't say what actually happened to him. They're not saying what the cause of his heart attack was at age 24 in great shape. And now they're pretending like, oh, this is just something we need to share and spread. So I don't know. It's fucked up. And I do think that the, the information's coming out. And there is nobody in my mentions now telling me, get boosted, get vaxxed. Nobody is fucking saying that shit anymore. Not a single peep. Even the people who still may be hanging on to the narrative, not a fucking peep. Nobody is saying that stuff. There is nobody being like, hey, you anti-vaxxer, blah, 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 blah. I tweeted this out before, but anti-vaxxers mostly were just vaxxers with standards, with standards for you know, what you put in your body, what kind of testing, what kind of results, keeping your eyes and ears opening, seeing what's going on. They're just vaxxers with standards. And I don't even consider myself a vaxxer. I don't consider myself an anti-vaxxer. I consider myself somebody who evaluates medical treatment, not based on category, but based on whether the medicine is net beneficial for me personally or net harmful. And that's it. I will not take any vaccine or any other medicine that I don't feel is net beneficial for me, offers more benefit than harm for me personally. As a voluntary choice, it offers more benefit than harm. And I will take any vaccine or any other medicine if I feel in the circumstances it offers more benefit than harm. That's it, period. The idea of being anti this kind of medicine or pro this kind of medicine is idiotic. It means you've fallen for propaganda and talking points. It means you're stupid if you are a pro-vaxxer or an anti-vaxxer. You should just be pro what works. This COVID vaccine, I am anti that shit. I am fucking anti that shit. I am anti, anti, anti that shit. From anything I could tell, it causes way, 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 way more harm than good, especially in younger people that aren't at high risk from COVID. Way, way more harm. I am anti that shit, 100%. But am I anti a whole category of medicine? No. Each one has to stand on its own merits and it always should have been like that. And it was already fucked up that they were just adding more and more of these things into the childhood schedule every year. And then you, if you didn't want one or you wanted to space it out or you wanted to evaluate each one, you're anti this. No, that's fucking propaganda for the pharmaceutical companies. You should evaluate every medicine. There's no sacred medicine. There's no special medicine that escapes that calculus of does it cause more benefit than harm? I'm not going to guinea pig myself or anybody else because collectively they say it does this. I'm not going to do that ever, 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 ever. And the COVID one really put the lie to it. And so hopefully the cost stops being so high. If you look at Ed Dowd's stuff, you follow Edward Dowd on Twitter or the ethical skeptic on Twitter. Ed Dowd, I think, estimated 148 billion in disability and damage and health problems 
I don't even that counts for the ongoing care people are going to need that that got vaccine injured. And obviously uh, 300,000 deaths in 2022 in the U.S. alone, that was the estimate using insurance data and using workplace data and absences, 300,000 deaths in just one year in just the U.S. That was his estimate. And the ethical skeptics estimate for that independently was like 287,000 deaths in the U.S. in 2022. It was very close coming at it from uh, slightly different angles. So I would, I would suggest you follow those guys, but you know, this fucking gaslighting, like, oh, good, there's defibrillators in high schools. Everybody can, uh, you know, be, feel safe now. Like, that's fucking, that's fucked up. And again, I'm happy for DeMar Hamlin that he's doing well, and I hope he lives to 100 years old. But this is not the right, this is not right. This is not the right way to take this. It's not the right direction to go in this. Finally, you know, there's this act ostensibly to ban TikTok, because TikTok does seem pretty toxic to me. But there's an act, it's called the Restrict Act, and it's going through Congress right now. And it has some crazy provisions, like if you interact via VPN with a prohibited application from a prohibited country or whatever it is, you can be jailed for 20 years and fined 250 k I mean, this is just core, you know, First Amendment, Fourth Amendment, Fifth Amendment. I mean, it's core constitutional violation that people swear an oath of office swear on a, you know, to defend the constitution is an oath. Of, I wonder if the Senate has to do that. I, obviously the president does to swear an oath to the constitution, but this is just totally violation. And they're using the, the fact that everyone hates TikTok and that it may well be some sort of Chinese psyop. I don't know, but it, it may well be because I've heard that the TikTok in the U S is all like degenerate shit. And the shit in China is like educational shit. If that's true, but they're using this to like, obviously Trojan horse in the sort of online Patriot Act. And it's so egregious and stupid. It's terrifying because you could, you know, it's like those fucking January 6th people who were protesting in the Capitol. I mean, they pretty much like locked those guys up and threw away the key for like the most misdemeanor type of behavior. So if you get got, if you're like the example that's being made, you know, of what they're going to do to the opposition and, accuse you of all sorts of insane crimes when no violence was committed by you. You know, it, it's serious, right? Like this is not going to fucking hold, but you know, the first 20 people or the first couple hundred people that get dinged by this are going to suffer big time. So this is obviously an overreach. It's sort of a, a dying regime lashing out, you know, cornered animal that's dangerous. It's going to try to pass laws like this that ultimately are going to backfire. It's just going to, erode confidence even more. I mean, this is like preposterous, this law. It's, it's beyond preposterous. And in the information age, it's getting a lot of play how preposterous it is, just like that stupid disinformation bureau. This is kind of a, a more codified version of it. But it's just fucked up that they even consider this uh, legitimate. And the senators that are introducing this and the Congress people that are introducing this, I mean, this, this should be, they should be held to account. I mean, nobody should forget this people who are signing on to this and voting for this. This is completely un-American. So um, I'm hoping it gets destroyed. And I do think that it will backfire uh, eventually. But, you know, in the short term, it can be, can be very damaging. So it's something that is uh, a bit concerning. All right. I think that's going to do it. Heading out on vacation, one that is relatively pointless. And then uh, heading to New York to see family. Unless I uh, have an emergency podcast to do, which... Maybe a couple of weeks, but uh, till next time.